The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to go past through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may, be, she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Artis, uh, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had some together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a de- defense to the crowd. And when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried with one voice, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who, neither, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek further, if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for this passage, and thank you for just being who you are. I pray today that we would, uh, that you would just speak to us through Randall's message, and may our thoughts just align with your thoughts, may our hearts align with your heart, and may we hunger for the gospel today. And yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Jindarm. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. I'm the pastor of Grace City. Um, and I just want to say, like, just watching during that family time today, I saw people praying with each other. I saw people interacting. And it just fills my heart with such joy to be able to see uh, just the encouragement that's happening here each Sunday. And so I praise God for that. Um, and if you're just joining us, we're um, in Acts 19 right now. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Na- Acts 19. Uh, we're looking at verses 21 through 40. 
And uh, we've been studying through the book of Acts, looking at the church, the early church, and, and what happened as uh, the gospel, the power of Jesus started to, to impact people's lives. Uh, we see lives that were transformed. And so we find ourselves today in Ephesus, and uh, the message for today is entitled, A New Normal. A New Normal. Uh, during the pandemic this past year, uh, there was a phrase that was used a lot, uh, maybe like so much so that you got tired of it. It was this, it was this, uh, we are living in a new normal. We heard it everywhere, right? New normal. Uh, but what does that mean? Well, unpacking this, uh, Dr. Jennifer Ashton said, this past year has been filled with so much uncertainty and unfamiliarity Nothing we are doing today or have lived through in the last year is normal. See, there are rhythms uh, within our culture, in our lives that we would consider normal. And when those are thrown off a little bit, um, then we get into this place where we start to feel disoriented. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty and, and definitely a lot of unfamiliarity. And what we see in today's text is that when the gospel comes into Ephesus, um, there is a new normal that starts to be set. Not because uh, Christians were vying for political power or uh, look, saying, look at me and, and look at our, our new ideas or anything like that. But, but the reason that there was a new normal was because the gospel started to become real in people's hearts. There's a transformation that started to happen. Uh, this Jesus that they were preaching wasn't just something they were sharing about, but something that had impacted their lives in a transformative way. The gospel was creating a new normal in this culture in Ephesus. And what happens is there's this uproar that starts to happen because of it. See, what did this new normal look like in Ephesus? Well, uh, commentator Tony Morita says it's a, it's a vivid picture of what happens when people exalt Jesus instead of idols. Uh, Paul's gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting, spirit-empowered ministry impacted the local economy and caused an uproar. See, what was this disturbance really about? It wasn't that Jesus was breaking through into people's lives, people's lives were changing, but it was that the economy was changing. Uh, the, the way that they made money was changing. And so in Ephesus, uh, this disturbance was an economic disturbance. See, it was much like when Jesus entered the temple and uh, saw money changers selling religious goods in the temple, taking advantage of people who really wanted to know God. Here's what it says in Matthew 21, 12 through 13. It says, uh, then Jesus started, uh, entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and seats and the seats of those selling doves. And he declared to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you were making it a den of robbers. See, what was really happening here in this culture, in this city? There were people that were selling religious goods to, to honest people who really wanted to know about God. But instead of pointing him, them in the right direction, they were using it as, as an opportunity to get financial gain. See, and just as Jesus overturned those tables in the temple, much is happening and starting to happen in Ephesus because Jesus is moving into that city as well through his people. See, it's a cultural revolution rooted in a spiritual awakening. 
God transforms hearts. And in the process, it's transforming the culture. In an article on spiritual awakening and revival, Pastor Tim Keller writes, he says, revivals produce waves of people who become involved in works of social concern. The reason for this is that real holiness changes the private and public lives of Christians. True religion is not merely a private matter providing internal peace and fulfillment. Rather, it transforms our behavior and our relationships. Since the 1900s revival in Wales created many social changes. Life in the coal pits was transformed. Longstanding debts were paid. Stolen goods returned and crime rates plummeted. See, it's not just an idea that we're talking about about being a Christian, but it's a transformative thing that happens in our lives. And, and, and God starts to, to, to change us from the inside out. And so as we think about what's happening in Ephesus, how do we know that there's a broader gospel impact being made uh, in our lives? One of the questions I've heard before, and I think it's a helpful one, is this. Would anyone notice if, if our church left the community? Would anyone notice? See, not just the street signs on a Sunday morning, but would people notice that there was a difference because Christians weren't there anymore, because that church wasn't there anymore? See, would anyone notice if we left our neighborhood or our apartment complex or our dorm? This week I was driving, I was thinking of that question to myself, and, and I was thinking about my friend Scott. He's a UPS driver. And he's literally delivered all of the equipment for the most of the stuff that we have here um, or in the early days of Grace City. And I remember just building a, a, a relationship and a friendship with him. And over the past couple of weeks, as we had interactions and I saw him in the neighborhood, he shared with me that he's got cancer. And we started to talk a little bit about that and started to talk about God and, and started, I, I just was able to pray with him. And on top of that, I don't know if you know, but back out, out in East County, there was an accident that happened with a UPS driver who, who was hit by a plane that landed in the, the community there. And he was sharing with me that that that, that man was going to be retiring really soon. He only had just a little bit of time left. You see, you and I, do we think about the gospel impact that's being made through our lives and the importance of what that means to other people's lives as well? When we look at the book of Acts, we see that Christians take their faith seriously. And so our text today, again, is Acts 19, 21 through 40. And just to give some background here, this is the last recorded event of Paul's stay in Ephesus. And so if you're just learning who Paul is, Paul is this missionary who's going, been going from city to city, sharing with people the goodness of God. And he was the least likely that would have been sharing this message because before that, he was opposing the message. He was saying, don't believe that message. He was dragging people to jail because they believe that message. But he has a real encounter with the living God. Jesus meets him and says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my church, Paul? And God wakes him up. And so he goes from city to city sharing about Jesus and he finds himself in Ephesus. And this disturbance that happens um, 
is when a man named Demetrius, a leader among the silversmiths, and so he's a craftsman, uh, saw his business starting to decline. Business wasn't as it was before. Business wasn't good. It was declining. And so this started to stir up a little something in him. See, he was a craftsman, and so he gathered others together. Um, and for him in particular, he would make replicas of Artemis, who was the goddess of this city. And what he saw is that the people were no longer buying these souvenirs. And so again, a, a commentator explains this. He, he, uh, he says this, he says, Demetrius has no interest in trying to learn what Paul is teaching. He didn't have anything to do with that. He's driven ultimately by greed, not by his love for the goddess. He's driven by dollars, not doctrine. Many today may not bow down to a statue, but millions bow down to the idol of money, oblivious to the, the fact that if it, it can never satisfy. And so we can look at this situation. We can say, well, um, we can distance ourselves. Well, we're not worshiping this, this goddess and we're not making these things. But, but what, he, what is the root of what's going on in his life? Why is he so disturbed? It's because his financial gains were being interrupted. Were being interrupted. And so that was a problem for him. And so he gathers people together and he says, hey, I'm not making money like I did before, and you're not either. And so there's a problem. Why is that happening? It's because the gospel is entered into Ephesus. And the location of all of this is really centered around the temple of Artemis. Now, this temple was created after there was a meteorite that had landed in that area. And the people believed, as they looked at this meteorite, that it looked like the goddess Artemis. And so about this, Artem, or about this um, meteorite, they said that she, uh, she, Artemis, sent her image down to Ephesus so that she would be worshipped. And so that was what was being spread all around Ephesus, was that there was this meteorite that fell, and that... The, 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 the image was in the image of Artemis, and so she needed to be worshipped. And so they built this elaborate temple around it, and, and what it became was this lucrative tourist attraction. Uh, Demetrius talks about that. He says people from all over the world are coming to visit Ephesus. It was one of the, uh, the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's what we're talking about here when we're talking about this temple of Artemis, greatly respected within the ancient world. It, it was so elaborate. Um, John Paul Hill says, the temple of Artemis was indeed a hub of Ephesian economic life. It was an impressive building. The entire edifice was elaborately adorned in brilliant colors and gold. And so this was the, the main attraction for this whole community. But the business of it was in decline. There was a new normal that had happened here. And so what does a new normal look like when the gospel takes root in our lives, when it takes root in a community? Well, we see three signs of a transformation, a gospel transformation that happens. Number one, there's a new perspective. Number two, there's a new focus. And number three, there's a new guide. 
New perspective, new focus, new guide. And so let's look at it uh, as we break down this text today. Look at verses uh, 24 through 26. We'll see a new perspective. Um, a, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. So they made a lot of money from this. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. What's happening here? Well, we see that the foundations of this community are being shaken because what's happened is Paul has preached that there's a new perspective that no longer these gods made by hands, they're not actually gods. This is the truth bomb that enters into this community and it's transforming everything for them in the way that they think. Hold on, so Artemis isn't really a god. This is transforming them. And so... Um, we, we, we have to go back to Acts 17, 16 to, to remember and see what, what the heart of Paul is as he preached this. Because um, here's what it says. It says in Acts 17, uh, 16, and we looked at this before, and so you can go back um, and listen uh, to this, this section, but it says this. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. When Paul entered communities... He looked around, and, and, and this word for saw, and we talked about this before, is this word theoreo. It's not the, the regular word like, the, the regular word like if I just saw something is the word blepo. He, this here, it uses the word theoreo. And in that word, what he's saying is that he didn't just see it, he saw beneath it. He saw through the facade. And, and so... He saw through the fakeness of it down to the truth of what it really was. And what he was saying is this, that all of those things are empty. They're empty. They're meaningless. And so where did he go and, and, and start to see this? Well, it says he went to the Areopagus. And the Areopagus is the marketplace. And so when he would enter into the city, he would go to the center of the city where the action is happening. This is where all the, the trades were happening. This is where all of the, 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 the culture was happening. All of the people were there. Like it, it, it was, that's where he went and he started to share, hey, all of these things that you're putting your hope in, it's meaningless. It's empty. See, these idols were just things that were created and put in the place of God and he saw the emptiness of it. See, we, we think to ourselves, well, I don't, I don't really worship these idols. I don't really worship all these things. But here's the thing, and you might have gotten caught by this before too. It seems like every year there's a new iPhone that comes out, right? Like a new one. It's like, I, I feel like I just got the, the iPhone 11. Like, I feel like I just got that. I was watching TV this week and I saw that there is an iPhone 13. I'm like, when did that come out? When did they, when did they bring that 
uh, to the public because I did not know about it. But here's the thing. It's happening all the time. And what are they convincing you of? That you need it. You haven't seen the camera on that. You haven't seen the gaming that can happen on that phone. You haven't seen the power that it holds. Some of us are like, well, yeah, I don't know. But some of us are like, yes. No, it's not. It's when I get this. And what Paul is preaching is to a community that believes the same thing. There's new ideas. There's new things that are coming out. And all of them are saying this, that this is the answer to your life. That's what you've been missing. You've been missing out if you don't have this new thing. And Paul's looking beneath the surface. He's, it's the theoreo, looking beneath the surface and saying, you know what? It's all empty. Doesn't matter. That new model thing that's coming out, each culture has those idols. And here's the thing that underneath the surface we think, if I have that thing, then I'll be complete. If I have it, then I'll be complete. But have you ever got the thing and still felt empty? Yeah, me too. And Paul's looking at this and saying, don't fall into the trap. There's something much more. Your salvation and what you really need to be saved from is much more than just you adding something into your life. Because they were used to adding more and more gods and goddesses into their life, more and more things into their life. But what is he saying? No, there's something that will move in that's more powerful than any of those things. And so let's return to Acts 19.26. And so Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. And here's the thing we know that they didn't necessarily know, that it was God who did that. Wasn't Paul just spreading his ideas, really smart guy. No, God was turning hearts. God was transforming hearts. Saying that gods made with hands are not gods. See, what was the, the message that Paul was preaching? It's this. That the God of the Bible is not made in our image, but we are made in his image. We are made in his image. See, the Greeks were used to creating gods in their own image. They did it all the time. They created gods in in the image of humans. Their their gods had, uh, here's the thing about their gods. They had many human qualities, even though they were were gods. And so we've done, we've studied this before, Greek um, uh, mythology, right? We've done this in school. We've kind of learned about it. And the, the, the interesting thing is that their gods were constantly fighting amongst themselves, behaved uh, irrationally and unfairly, and were jealous of each other, right? The great god Zeus is like, his, his moral life and character is like completely off. And they were used to creating these own, their own gods. And again, we think to ourselves, well, we don't do that. But my question is, why do we continue to get drawn into the celebrity culture and think that people are more and bigger than life than they really are and all those other things? Right? Why do we keep getting pulled into this again and again and putting people on what we would say, putting them on a pedestal? What do we see when we see Marvel movies? Well, we see they kind of look like us, but you know what? They got some superpowers, and so that's pretty cool too. Right? In many ways, our hearts are drawn to do the same thing that the Greeks did. See, we love to see ourselves on the screen, don't we? We easily put ourselves up in the position of God. 
But Paul was preaching from a different perspective, a different message. What's the gospel message that he was preaching? It's this. He was preaching a, a perspective that there's only one God and that we are made in his image. That we're made in his image. It's the Imago Dei. It's the, the reason why many times what happens is we're so confused about who I am. And we're looking to ourselves to figure out who am I? But instead, would you look at the one who created you and said, God, who am I? Who am I? One quote that my friend Max has been recently saying to me, and, and, when I, and I looked it up, and here's what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Do you see that? And so Paul is coming in with a different message, one that confronted the culture, and is going to uh, cause an uproar. It's causing a disturbance in the city. Second, there's a new focus. Look at verse 27. And there's danger not only that this trade of ours may come to disrepute and that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be disposed from her magnific magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Now what's Demetrius arguing here? And why do the people get so upset? Here's what he's telling them. Your job's gone, okay? Job's gone. This historic landmark that is one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world, gone. And your religion and everything that you put your faith in, gone. See, the focus of Ephesus has shifted from being focused on Artemis, who is the center of the city, saying, Everything revolves around her economically and the life of the, the city. Everything revolves around her. Now it's focusing and shifting to Jesus. We're finding that believers that were being brought into this belief in, in Jesus were no longer controlled by the religious cultural stream of the past, but have received a new focus into their life and it's, it's changing everything for them. It's changing everything for them. You see, the question is, as, as, as Christ comes into our life, does our focus change? Are we different than the stream of the rest of the culture and the way things are going? See, what happens when the living God comes into your life? Well, renovations start to happen. Transformation starts to happen. God takes the old and, and brings in the new. I love the illustration by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He talks about this. Uh, imagine yourself as a house. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the, the roof and so on. You know that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the, uh, the house about in a way that, that hurts abominable, abominable, abominably. <laughs> okay, don't use that one often. And does not seem to make any sense. You ever had that happen? What on earth is he up to? 
The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he was building a palace. He intends to come in and live in himself. You ever thought to yourself, God, you're coming into my life, but there's some things that I, we didn't really talk about this. I didn't really know you were going to take that wall out and build that staircase there. And I, I, we didn't, you didn't consult me on that. See, when the living God comes into your life, it's not just my focus is, okay, how am I doing? But God comes into your life and you say, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? They weren't used to this. Artemis was controllable. You know, you could control Artemis because Artemis really wasn't telling me to do too much other than buy her souvenirs and show up at the temple. But now we have this God that's uncontrollable, that, 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 this God that, that starts to speak in our lives and do things that we were like, I didn't give you permission in there. No, that's when you know that you have a living God, a living God, when he starts to break into your life. See, it's much like in Job, you remember Job? Job was having this great life, and then all of a sudden, you know, he, he didn't know that there was a conversation that was happening between God and Satan. And uh, Satan was like, does, does Job really love you? God's like, yeah, look at, my ser- look at my servant Job. Take him, for instance. He says, okay, uh, we're, we're just going to bring havoc on his life to see if he really loves you. And what happens? Well, really bad things start to happen to Job in his life. But we find that he actually loved God. There was a real relationship there. And then he was kind of questioning God and kind of working through it, right? Like many of us have in our lives. But then I love this when, when, when it says that the Lord speaks. Here's the thing. Artemis isn't speaking to any of them. They're just worrying about their, their, their gains, but the Lord, when he speaks, here's what he says to, to Job. He says, the Lord, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the, the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy who is this God it's the God that that laid the foundations of the earth that says who with such little knowledge can come to the 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 all-wise and powerful God and have any answers (laughs) answers <laughs> any rebuttal like no see there's this new focus on the living god and the living god is transforming their lives and lastly there's a new guy look at verses 28 through 30 when they heard uh, this they were enraged and were crying out great is artemis of the ephesians 
So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into a theater, dragging them, Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. So what's happening here is there's a, there's a, a, a great uproar, right? People are, are fired up and they grab the closest Christians that they could find. It was Gaius and Aristarchus and they're like, you're coming with us. And so they drag him, both of these guys, into uh, the, the, the theater there. This theater was, uh, would seat around 24,000 people so it's a massive theater, and all of these people are, are causing a ruckus. It says that there's confusion. And so when there's confusion, what do you need? You need a guide, right? You need a guide. See, what did this new guide look like? Well, first, it's understanding that God's guidance was over Paul's life first and foremost, See, many scholars believe that in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, Paul is alluding to this incident in Ephesus. Now, I'm not going to have it for you on the screen, but it's, it's 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 8 through 9. Um, and here's what it says. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, We do not want you to be uninformed, brother, uninformed brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the, death, uh, the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What was Paul learning as he experienced what was happening to him? He was experiencing the feeling of, if God doesn't come through, I'm not going to make it. He was literally in this position where it was like, this is over, I'm done if God doesn't come through. But what did he say? He says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. When there's chaos, when there's confusion, when there's things going on, like Paul is explaining and going through right here, what happens? We lean on ourselves, right? To navigate the confusion. But what we see is that Paul is saying, I don't rely on myself to navigate the confusion. I would have, but God taught me something here in this moment. He taught me about what it looks like to rely on God, not ourselves. Over all things, it's about God and what he was doing, not about what Paul could do. He could not navigate himself through this situation. But second, it's understanding the guidance of God's people in Paul's life, right? It was God's guidance over his life, but it was also God's people in Paul's life because here's what it says. It says, Paul wished to go. He saw this, this crowd dragging his friends out there and he wanted to get in there. He wanted to go. But look at what it says. The disciples would not let him. They would not let him. See, Paul was not on a solo missionary journey, but he was a part of a family. He was a part of a family that wanted to protect him and help him and guide and be there for him. 
They knew that it, wa- it wasn't going to solve the problem if he just ran in there. It would have probably gotten worse. Because he was the one who was the main one who were they, they were blaming. Saying, Paul's going around preaching these things. Imagine if Paul actually went in there. And so his brothers and sisters in Christ held him back. You don't need to go there because you can't solve that. You can't solve this situation, Paul. See, this argument was over Artemis, this this temple of Artemis. But here's the thing. The true temple, the people of God, came in to protect Paul. See, this wasn't about, and never is, as a Christian, about independence. It's about interdependence. See, we think it's about my life. But God says you need the people of God to be with you in this. And so later when Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians, he learns something. He says something to them. He says this, and we can pick up on it because we're reading in Acts here and we're seeing this. He encourages the believers that they were joined together in Jesus and that God is growing them into a holy temple in the Lord. This is Ephesians 2, 21 through 22. He says, in him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. When they thought of the word temple, what did they think of? They thought of the temple of Artemis. But when Paul speaks to them and says, hey, God is building you into a temple, what, what, is, he, what, what is he saying? He's saying this isn't about a building, this is about people. It's about brothers and sisters. This is about relationships. This is about something bigger than that. You're being built together. One commentator says that the church comprised of individuals on common mission is God's real temple. One had life. The other was lifeless. See, friends, brick and mortar, no matter how beautiful they are, are not more important than people. Than people. Believers didn't need to have a building. They were being built up by God into a dwelling for God's presence. Do you know why it's so beautiful looking around and seeing the, the church being the church and encouraging one another and helping each other? It's because we are here for one another, being built up into a temple that's much better and much more beautiful than the seven ancient wonders of the world. And so just some takeaways quickly as we wrap up. How can we live out a new normal with the gospel as it impacts our life? The first one is this. Does your perspective look any different because of Jesus? Does your perspective look any different because of Jesus? And what I want us to think about is this. Are we believing in a God that looks more like our image? Because what that looks like is this. God, you're going to fail me again? God, you're not going to be there again? God, I can't trust you. Right? In many ways, we make God more in our image and we look to him and say he's just like everybody else that we know. But what we see is that 
He's different. And so what I'm, I'm encouraging you to do is to think about, do I believe in a perspective of God that's not a God that looks like me, but that God looks like Jesus? That when I look at Jesus, I see God. That when I look at the life of Jesus and what he's done and everything that he is, that, that that's, that's actually who God really is. That he's the one who can walk among the lame, the sick, the poor, the broken down, the lost. He can look at them and love them. He's the one that puts that one lost sheep on his shoulders and brings them back to the flock. See, it's not about a God that's made in my image. It's about a, a God that, that, that is made himself known in the person of Jesus. Could I believe in that image? That when I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I could see that that's who God really is. That that's who he really is. Do I receive that perspective into my life? Second question is this. Is your focus the same as the culture around you? See, for many of us, it's, it's about this. Is, is my, does my life need to look like everybody else around me? D- does it? Or can I trust that what God brings into my life, I can be content with? And that's it. That's just who he is. Like, is my focus, what is my focus Lastly, how are you guided differently? See, is it about God's plan and his way and seeing that there's a God who's protecting me? I remember my, my college professor, amazing man of God, he went to be with the Lord uh, this past year. He was, he was the real deal. And I remember him saying this one time, and I was like, What? He said, could you, could you, he said, could you believe that the slow driver that's in front of you could possibly be that God sent that person there to protect you from something on the other side? You know what I mean? Could, could you believe that God allowed that person to be, maybe because, it, and I was like, that's a crazy thought. Because I'm not really thankful for them right now. Right? Like, <laughs> but that we serve a sovereign God who's over all things and who actually sees things that we don't see ourselves. And that God could be placing that person in your life right now that could help be that, that one to help have your back. When you would have gone into the, the fray, when you have gone into the confusion, when you've gone into that, that arena, like Paul was ready to do, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go save those guys. No, you're not. Settle down. It's okay. God's got it. See, we need those people in our lives too. Here's the gospel, friends. The Ephesians, they, they believe that Artemis sent her image through a meteor. That's how they believe that, that, 
this goddess had sent their image, or her image. We believe that God sent his image through his son. Colossians 1 says that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus. See, God, God didn't just send a sign through a meteor. But he sent himself in flesh and blood. See, one was an inanimate object. The other is God incarnate. Is God incarnate. Why is that so important that God became like you and me? It's so that when we turn to God and say, you don't know what I'm going through, you don't understand what I've been through, he can look down and say, yes, I do. I walked in your shoes. I came. I understand what it means to be isolated. I understand what it means to be ostracized. I understand what it means to be lonely. My friends left me at my darkest moment. I understand it. I understand it. See, one was lifeless. The other is the way, the truth, and the life. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What does God come to you with his grace and his truth? And he says, I'm here. I love you. I care about you. Will you receive it? Not an idea. Not a meteor. Not another thing, not another thing to go to. He's saying, will you receive me, a person? God became like us, died for us, rose from the dead, said, will you receive me? If we do, what will start to happen is there will start to be a new normal. It <laughs> will start to shake some things up in our life. But I'm telling you, it'll be the best thing that can happen to us. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you meet us in this place. Thank you, God, for how your way, your truth, your life, Lord, is not just ideas. It's a, it's, it's a person. It's Christ. And so we just come to Christ today. We come to, to you and we just thank you that you want a relationship with us. So help us to know what that means. Truly to know what that means in our hearts, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.